0: Hi, I'm Brynn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. In this conversation, J.P. Rangaswamy is going to help us slow down our thinking, breaking apart our tendency to literally jump to conclusions. He's going to talk about the four stages of data development. Here's a preview of what they are and the questions they beg. Observation. What just happened? Diagnosis. Why did it happen? Prediction. What's going to happen next? And prescription. What should I do about it? The lovely feature here is that this is about awareness. So as you're thinking and thinking and using deduction and taking in new inputs about investments, using this model as an overlay might be interesting. Am I diagnosing? Am I predicting? Am I predicting before I've really observed new data? You can see how we all jump around in these stages all the time, getting ourselves caught in a web of recency bias or applying old data to make a prescription when really you needed to go back and observe. So JP helps us, slows us down, and uses some great examples to help us understand and use the four stages of data development. I hope you enjoy it. We're here with JP, Rangaswamy, and Pip, and we're talking about the four stages of data development. And... Pep, will you talk about what was bothering you, about how um, how we humans quickly go through, uh, jumping to conclusions, I'll say, just to use like, very familiar terms, and why you asked JP about this?
1: Well, I think, JP, we were at an eight-person gathering, uh, afternoon gathering in London, and at some point, JP, um, almost pronounce that there were four stages of data development. In that very convincing way, JP can pronounce, this, well, there's four stages. Anytime he does that, my ears like totally perk up because I know I'm about to get a gem. And so I didn't have a problem, Bryn, until he told me that I had a problem I just hadn't diagnosed. And he said, there's four stages of data development. He'll go into them, but observation, diagnosis, prediction, and prescription. And when he broke it down, it's like the whole world opened up to me like, oh my God. And the first thing i thought was that is why when the police show up they just ask for the facts they don't ask the witnesses to determine the prescription of punitive like how many years should this person go to jail they're first just taking the facts and i thought about how often i and people in our industry feel a pressure a bunch of pressures not to do that so when he broke it down it was like inside of 30 seconds the world opened up for me Bryn.
0: Well JP where do you want to start? Will you perhaps just lay the groundwork for us and and tell us about the four stages and maybe a little bit about how you know them so well?
2: Sure, thanks Bryn. I, as Bryn referred, the stages are really what people do when they try to handle data. If you imagine the first time you were ever in a lab, the most likely instruction you got is can you write down the observation of what happened, right? All knowledge in a way starts with saying, have you got a little book and you write down what happened? And the idea of writing down is so that you can look at the facts of what happened to see whether there's a pattern emerging. And what we're calling diagnosis in many ways is saying, okay, I'm going to hear the facts, you know, a doctor will tell you So tell me how you're feeling. Okay, that's taking the observation stage in, so that diagnosis can happen. And even as kids doing IQ tests that used to be popular decades ago, you'd be saying, Here are three numbers, what's the next one to come? Here are four letters or words, what's the next one to come? So human beings forever have been doing this learning through observation, an attempt to form a model out of that observation, and then extrapolating for the next one in sequence. In scientific terms, it's not necessarily just the next one in sequence. It's now saying, instead of the sequence you see, let's change a variable and see whether you can still come up with it. So you're formulating a model. It's only when you can formulate the model that you're really able to say, stick a new variable in, and we can go into the prediction part. And without having conquered that, it doesn't make sense to be able to prescribe what you can do. Now the Gartner-esque sort of data scientist way of describing all this is sort of describe, diagnose, predict, prescribe. But I prefer thinking of it as answering four questions. You know, what just happened? Why did it happen? What's going to happen next? And what should I do about it? Okay. And and the best bring to life example I can think of that's really made me understand this personally was when I spent years trying to give up smoking. And then I was getting so good at giving up smoking, I was doing it every other day. So the time came where I said, I've got to break this. And I started writing down my conditions of failure what was I doing when I restarted? (laughs) And the first time I did it, very quickly, I came to the conclusion, I was never going to give up cigarettes until I gave up coffee because without exception, all my restarts were in the presence of coffee. And so 17 years ago, I gave up coffee and I haven't had a cigarette since. So that's the best sort of backdrop I can give. (laughs)
0: I love that. So the four stages, observation, what happened, diagnosis, why did it happen, prediction, what will happen next, and prescription, what should we do about it? Mm -hmm. And you've said that the accuracy improves over time because you just keep iterating on this model, right? We get new new things to observe every moment.
2: The more cases you have, the more examples you have, the more likely it is you're going to continue refining mm-hmm. the ability to, you know, the model learns.
0: Like the first day you noticed you had a cigarette with coffee and then you noticed that was happening every time. So right. that's how that and The first
2: day I wasn't sure whether it was the location or the people or the time of day or anything else. By the time I got to the second day, I was saying, Oh, it was still the same time of day. So I can't be sure that was the reason, but, The people were different and then by the third day i had that in the afternoon so what's the common link
0: i love that so pip what do you see as some of the traps how do you bridge this over to investment process
1: well i was thinking as jp was talking uh, you know in in a recent conversation we were talking about four traps but a fifth one just came up for me and that is the the downside or the, let's call it to overdramatized, destructive element of common wisdom.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: What I mean is in that cigarette example, or the, um, I want to lose some weight, or New Year's resolutions. Bryn, you and I have a model of, uh, that we borrowed from um, a Buddhist teacher, Ziggur Kontrol Rinpoche, about uh, how we think about intention, exertion, and know-how. And what JP unearthed was how the system really worked His trying to say, quit, and the know-how that then led to encouragement. And I think so often the common wisdoms of our moment actually don't fit, Hmm. and then we run into failure. So we try to lose weight and there's a, you know, oh, you just do this, or you just do that. And the common wisdoms generally are too simple in a Warren Buffett, not to mix metaphors that Warren Buffett, you haven't gone through the sea of confusion to look deeper to see what's really going on. So I love how JP slowed the whole thing down.
0: When I hear you say common wisdom, I hear that is a race to get to the prescription. I wanna quit smoking. I just want you to tell me what to do. So I'm not going through observation of my own behavior, diagnosis, prediction. I just want the end result of someone else's work give me the prescription. What should I do?
1: Yeah. I'd say there's, I'm, there's, I'm, I'm breaking it down into two parts. There's one is the common wisdom of the day. Well, if we have to call it common wisdom of the day, then it's probably not that much wisdom. It means it's going to move around. And so it's probably not on target, but then you get some of those self-help books, which actually have wisdom in them, you know, and then we don't do them in part because we haven't wrestled deeply enough of how that will attach and internalize to us.
0: So JP, where do you see the missteps happening uh, most commonly?
2: I think Pips referred to one of them, which is you, you sort of, you look for the answer, you look for the you know, solutionizing without going through the dis- discipline of understanding uh, the prerequisites. And so I've seen, you know, many instances where uh, people look at the data and because they haven't gone through the process of understanding the model, they make assumptions on things that are correlation rather than causation. Okay. So, you know, uh, if most, you know, it's the joke of the most car accidents take place within three miles of home, so park your car three miles away, right? It sort of misses the point of what the lesson actually was, which may well have to do with. You you know you're you're more complacent you're relaxed you're 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 within home territory so there's some part of your setup that is flawed that causes so many accidents to be within three miles of home. But because the causation is not there, it's sort of saying I can solve that problem, you know. And so uh, I think that's the first sort of trap people fall into, that they look at the data without really getting models that work and testing them so that the assumption is validated before you start prescribing what to do
0: it's you point um, out that the correlation and causation and identifying whether one of those things is going on that happens in step 2 the diagnosis stage not in 3 prediction or 4 prescription
2: correct and and because it hasn't happened any attempt to predict is flawed because it may be a correlation rather than a causation you're talking about. And as a result of that, the advice that you look for in the prescribe is even more flawed because it's built on flawed assumptions, right? They, they, you have to make sure that you've been able to understand the true causation in order to be able to, get that diagnosis. And you don't have to solve all of the causation, at least you've got to be sure that that which you are now predicting is good, even if it's not complete.
0: Right, Pip, this relates to something that you you call it chain linking, which I think means smushing these four stages together (laughs) and thinking you're doing some semblance of all of them. Um, or not even knowing that there are four. But what is chain linking?
1: I think it's uh, technically the word is smushing, Bren. Thank you. It's smushing, and <laughs> I think it, what what I when J P said this thing in London, immediately I could see that I smush things together, and that I'm losing important ability by not breaking them apart and separating them. I'm losing ability to take advantage of my own tools and abilities and skills. Um, Just by not slowing, separating them out and slowing down the processes and and regarding each one as fundamentally important. One of the things that JP taught me is on the opposite, when we don't smush or chain link and we slow it down, I then have a chance, one, to in slow motion question common wisdom. So back to investments. Like you're at that meeting and well, everyone knows this, or everyone knows that, or everyone knows this, everyone knows that. And Grant McCracken has helped us unearth and look at what are the hidden assumptions that are in there. But if you're going and you're smushing everything together, what are the odds you're going to have the ability to see the, or even appreciate that the uncommon assumptions are going to be worthwhile? One that I give an example, just as an example is if you were buying a taxi medallion 10 years ago, you might think that in order to have a taxi service, you had to have a medallion. And Uber proved that that was wrong. So if we slow down, if we de-chain link, we can start to question what is the common wisdom? And why that's important, Bryn, is if we're gonna add alpha to portfolios and stocks of value, we have to have uncommon insights. And if we're going around parroting the common wisdom of the day, there's no room for differentiation to make money systematically. One of the brilliant things that I learned from JP is in that diagnosis and JP, maybe you can give a practical example or two from your background, systematically injecting thoughtful cognitive diversity into diagnosis. And you make it, you made it kind of like, well, that's very available. It sounds like a lot of words and boy, that's probably hard and take a bunch of people's time and blah, blah, blah. But you kind of, are able to bring that practically to order fairly quickly sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, my my favorite example is actually one of my boyhood heroes rather than something I experienced in in working life, but I think it has immense relevance. There was a mathematician called Abraham Wald, who was a young man, uh, was brought in straight out of university into a factory where they repaired planes during the war and the work of the statisticians was to look at all the clusters of bullet holes in the fuselage and determine the optimum route therefore as to where to reinforce the planes and they'd been doing this for months and here comes the new kid on the block and looks at it and says the first evening he was there we're doing it all wrong and that caused the normal consternation of you know you know nothing you've just walked in here you're green wet behind the ears what do you mean we're doing it all wrong and they were at least open enough for the foreman who ran that floor or whatever to say explain to me what what are we doing wrong and he looked at the foreman and said the planes aren't coming back And what actually that unpacked to was that until then, unquestioningly, people were reinforcing where there was the highest concentration of bullet holes. Whereas what Abraham was pointing out was that the planes that were shot in the places that the returning planes had no bullet holes weren't coming back. Um, So they should be reinforcing The gaps and not the <laughs> hopes. <laughs> and that was you know, my first example of don't walk in with hidden assumptions or um, preformed assumptions, look at the problem to solve. And the best diversity of opinion was someone who didn't have the day-to-day process-oriented experience but could look at the problem fresh. Wow. Yeah. And I've seen that repeatedly at work where the person sitting on the side of the conversation saying, have you considered this? And it would be things like, maybe it's the time of day while we're all looking at at the system that generated the problem, Uh. right? And someone else said, maybe the system's waiting for something, okay? And that's when I learned to, to fix a bug because we had a condition that said, that should have said greater than or equal to, but it only said greater than. So there was no instruction to what to do when it was equal to, so everything was in suspense and waiting. But we'd had experienced people look at it, but it needed this kid on the site to say, maybe it's waiting for something, okay? Mm -hmm. But we all knew it was waiting for something, but the way he said it suddenly made us think, what could it be waiting for? An instruction, why? Because it's met the condition it was meant to meet. So, uh, you know, the smooshing thing, what it reminded me of is that the two problems I see repeatedly with human beings is one, we tightly couple uh, things into sequence mm. every time we get the chance. Two, we tend to do this linearly. Mm. So the um, idea that these are four activities. That are iterative, and that the activities are allowed to overlap. <laughs> so that there is some overlapping, the blurring of the lines. We like things tight and clean. We want four boxes with connectors. And you know, the chain uh, sort <laughs> of uh, metaphor works well over there because it's it's firm, it's boxed, it's hard, it's connected. It, and that's actually not how these things work. So mm-hmm. It's okay to start doing the diagnosis while you're still doing some of the describing, provided you have the discipline of actually diagnosing rather than locking into the correlations. Okay? It's okay mm. to start with the, uh, being able to predict, provided you understand the limitations of what you've diagnosed so far, and you keep to the disciplines. So in each one of these, part of the stepping back, part of the value of that detachment, part of the value of bringing in you know, the, 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 the cognitive sort of, uh, you know, I, the, the sonance if that's the right thing of being able to say, uh, you know, the many hands make light work. Let's look at this in order to see what it triggers off. These things only happen when you break this linearity and break this insistence on tight coupling. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. So it's like being aware of which category you're working in while being fluid within anyone.
1: I was, I was thinking in those great movies where there's a, a a crime to solve or something like that. The most exciting part is when they're in the trial and the, like, the verdict is just at, like they're getting close to the closing statements even. and like a slip of paper comes to the defendant's lawyer and they, they go, judge, I, I need a recess. And then they go back out and they're iterating the process from the beginning. And it, it creates that excitement. And sure enough, that's when the whole thing breaks. And sometimes that's just Hollywood. This is but Barry Mason second. meets Hamilton Berger almost. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was also thinking, Bryn, one of the ways we were trained is when you hear things gotten that have reduced down to an either or. Do you think we should reinforce the front of the plane or the tail that that either or is a signal that people have maybe gotten to a conclusion way faster and then just, I don't know, maybe it's a third component. Maybe it's a fourth component and not falling, listening for that either or recognizing it, and then using that as a springboard to say, eh, maybe it's neither of those two.
2: Uh, it's, it's almost an aside, but I can't help interject it when uh, people used to talk a lot about uh, what waterfall and cascade based working and agile working and Mm. agile became very popular all over the place, particularly in systems, but started sort of manifesting beyond into, you know business decisions, strategic decisions, et cetera. And uh, I remember about maybe 15 years ago I articulated as saying, you know, waterfall is when you change the facts to fit the plan. Mm. And agile is when you change the plan to fit the facts. (sighs) Uh, In many walks of life, and I see no reason why investing is different, we have a tendency to take facts and make a plan and then fossilize the plan even when the facts change. Mm.
0: Okay?
2: And the the ability to keep the facts fresh, to know that new facts have emerged and to be able to change your viewpoint based on the lessons of the new facts is a discipline that is important, not just in data, not just in investing, but my suspect in life.
0: I thought it was really helpful to hear that it's okay to overlap in the stages as long as you know which stage you are in, without letting your mind jump to the next step or circle around back, setting up a potentially faulty correlation. Here's another application of this model. We are almost primed to ask for feedback in our work cultures. Did you ever notice that it can be like a way to show respect or to extend an olive branch? Um, or just to be in sync with work culture expectations. But why would you ask someone for feedback if they may not understand some key elements in these four stages? It's like asking my 10-year-old whether or not we should refinance our mortgage. So I've heard Pip do something that I thought was really neat. He'll distinguish the stages now, saying, I would love to hear your observations. And even if they go into prescription or diagnosis, you can use the language to um, reshift the conversation effectively. So, by being more discerning about who we're asking for feedback from and what specifically we want feedback on, we might get much more helpful inputs back. Thanks for listening.